25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> That's a whole different show from the 70s. What's happening? Hey, what's up? I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Monday show, April 6th. Monday, Monday. Quarantine edition. Welcome on in. I appreciate you tuning in, however you're listening, wherever you're listening from, how and when and where. Seems to be maybe a little bit of an uptick today on this Monday and the number of people tuning in on the Facebook stream, which probably just simply means there's more people at home than there usually are a middle of the day on a Monday. So hi to everybody watching over there on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. Kenny says uh, Greg Maddox was fun to watch. So much fun that I named my son... Maddox and even spelled it like him. I bet some of y'all don't even know how to spell Greg Maddox's last name because he has a different spelling than what you think. Two D's, a U and an X. M-A-D-D-U-X. That's why they called him Mad Dog with two D's. Yes, sir. And there was a question from Kevin over here as I played that Greg Maddox two hits in one inning back in 99, including a home run against the Phillies and an eight-run inning in the fourth. On this day in 99, Kevin said, well, whose bat was he using? Well, how am I supposed to know that? (laughs) How am I supposed to know whose bat Greg Maddox was using? I have no earthly idea. All right, so welcome in the Farm Bureau studio connected to you because of C Spire. I'm going to tell you later in the show how to sleep better. If you don't have a mattress from Nest and Wild, you need to get one and you will sleep better. I promise you. I'm sleeping better already. Country Please and text line. Got a couple there. I'm going to get to those. Remind you, though, that coming up in about, oh, three minutes from right now, we'll chat it up or try to anyway with Charlie Winfield. He is the color analyst for Mississippi State women's basketball on the radio and has been for several years. And we'll talk about the news of Vic Schaefer going to the University of Texas, opening up a spot. Somebody's going to be a new head basketball coach at Mississippi State soon. On the women's side, who are the candidates? Do we know what direction? All that kind of stuff. So that's coming up with Charlie in just a bit on the Divinity phone. First up, though, country please in text, Jay in Baltimore. Every generation has a, quote, where were you when moment. My parents was the Kennedy assassination. Most will say ours is 9-11. Sure. I still say mine is, where were you when Sid Bream rounded third in the bottom of the ninth for the slide in 92 against the Pirates? Jay was in a fraternity house at school, and he says, we went berserk. Yeah, I was sitting in 
you know, our house, my parents' house. I was 16 years old sitting there uh, in their house in Prattville, Alabama. I don't remember the weeknight it was. I just remember it was at night and watching that and jumping up and down. And I was a big old boy and having to avoid punching a hole in the ceiling as you jump up and fist pump and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm telling you, what a moment. You know, in the television deal, you had a different announcer. It wasn't until later I actually heard Skip Carey's call. I was not listening on the radio. I was actually watching it on television, like a, like many people were. Walton says, I had to Google, knock him out, John. And I was in for a very pleasant surprise. Yes, you were. Yes, you were, Walton. And do not be ashamed that you had to Google it. At least you Googled it. Speaking of big Jerry Clower fans, Neil Price Play-by-play announcer on the radio for Mississippi State texted me a little while ago. And unfortunately, only people on the stream are going to be able to see this as I hold up my phone. But that is a big plate of steak and ingredients that he sent me with the caption that says, getting ready to make pastor's tacos. Never tried it. Made my own chili powder for them. Doing all sorts of new stuff during this quarantine. <laughs> I bet you are, Neil, and others too. So hold on to that question. When we get done talking basketball with Charlie Winfield, I'm going to pose a question to you, and we're going to have this running thread, even though I got news for you the rest of the show. And it's going to be this. Positive, negative. Last night I asked sort of a negative question on Twitter, and it was, it, you know, it had the glass half empty thing. And that is, what has this pandemic and quarantine showed you that you will not take for granted going forward? You know, and mine was getting to travel to see family, just hop in a car and go where you want to go, that kind of stuff. But here's a positive one. What has this quarantine introduced you to that you previously had had no introduction? Are you cooking things you've never cooked? Are you doing things at home? What is your activity? What activity is it that during this quarantine you have been introduced to that is kind of like, hey, this is opening up a whole new world to me. Neil Price at home making tacos, becoming a chef. Who knew? Well, let's see about Charlie Winfield. Charlie Winfield, Stark villain, Stark villain, attorney at large and broadcaster for Mississippi State women's basketball. He's a color analyst on the radio. You see and hear Charlie on uh, baseball and basketball and softball games on the SEC Network Plus for Mississippi State, and he's on your radio right now as we speak. First up, Charlie, hey to you. I appreciate some time. Everybody healthy? Everybody doing okay? Yeah, we're hanging in there. Everybody's doing good down this way. Good. That's good to hear. The um, the shelter in place, the quarantine, how's, how's that for you? Well, I've gotten to sleep. Um, I've uh, told somebody with my son's high school baseball season being effectively canceled, uh, at least postponed pending cancellation, and uh, knocking out about four broadcasts a week, I'm trying to figure out what to do with about 40 hours a week. I'm actually getting to do my day job a little bit. <laughs> Time to do things. You know, I think what the way we described it last week at some point was we no longer have built-in excuses, Charlie, not to do the honeydew list. 
Well, I have not let anybody at my house know that I don't need to be at the office, so <laughs> I am not falling into that trap. I can promise you. But Matt, so I got to say one thing. I heard you talking Atlanta Braves earlier, yeah, and I know that we're going to talk basketball, yeah. And so that reminds me, of course, the former Atlanta Brave that was a basketball official. Oh yes, oh man, I know Bruce this Benedict. Yes, Bruce benedict bruce you know you know and the only reaction that i ever got out of bruce benedict when he was official i sent about the fourth row you might remember this back in the the 80s the braves backup catcher was a guy named biff pokeroba yes (laughs) and benedict kicked a call it was just terrible and once it calmed down i i yelled out you were no biff pokeroba (laughs) and that was the first time i've seen an official turn around and laugh uh, so. <laughs> Nothing like a little bullpen catcher uh, harassment for an official. For an, that's great. That's outstanding. Now, um, who was the guy who was a an actor? He played a role on Saturday Night Live that had a, a similar name to Biff Pokoroba. It was Joe... Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. Little Matt. Little 1980s Matt. Preschool, kindergarten Matt got those two names mixed up all the time. Yeah. I couldn't tell those two names apart. Biff Pokoroba, though. I think I had a baseball card of his. You know what, too? Um, as a Braves fan growing up, Charlie, so I had baseball cards, and I got a Bruce Benedict card. And he's obviously the catcher for my favorite team. Well, my dad who played uh, small college baseball at Montevallo, just outside of Birmingham, you know. And growing up, Dad had been a catcher, so there were these catcher's mitts and Montevallo stuff and wooden bats around the house. And for a little kid, you know, it was my dad. He might as well have been Babe Ruth. I didn't know there was a difference at all. Um, And I looked on the back of that card and realized that Bruce Benedict and my dad had the same birthday. And I just thought, okay, this is – this is God's way of telling little Matt that his his dad's just as good as Bruce Benedict. <laughs> they had the same birthday, you know. Well, um, you know, those were the times the Braves really were America's team because you basically had WGN. You could watch the Cubs. Of course, we're talking about Greg Maddox. That's pretty good years in Chicago, too. But, you know, you, you had the WGN guys and you had the TBS mm-hmm. guys. And the advantage that the Braves had was they played at night. So you could you right. didn't get stuck like the Cubs with all those day games. So, yeah, it's crazy. I can tell you basically the starting lineup for the Atlanta Braves in 1983, and I can't tell you what I had for supper last night. So those are the things that stick with you. Yeah, that's right. Charlie Winfield on your radio. And, Charlie, I promise, last baseball thing. Um, But you're a a Yankees fan? Did I get that right? You did. Okay. Lifelong. Okay, did you see my piece of Yankees trivia that I put on Twitter today? I did not see that. Okay, so on this day, April the 6th, 1973, 73, the Yankees became the last American League team to abandon their flannel uniforms in favor of polyester. The team's new look on the road featured white piping around the words New York on the front as well as around the numbers on the back. On this day in 1973, there you go, Yankees fan. And then it was Costanza who moved on to Cotton, right? <laughs> or, or, remember the Seinfeld episode? Yeah, or, or tried to, right? I don't know. <laughs> That's right. You know, I attempted to. I'm going to look that one back up. All right, cool deal. So um, enough of the baseball talk. The reason you're here, Charlie, is because change, the winds of change have swept through Starkville again. 
We learn over the last 24 hours that Vic Schaefer is leaving the state to go to Texas. How'd that land on you? At knowing him personally and working around him, being on a broadcast crew, how'd that hit you? Oh, man, it was a, it was a punch. But at the same time, I, I understand it. You know, to to know Vic Schaefer is to know that he's a Texas guy. He, he, he cut his teeth in the game. He was born in Austin. He cut his teeth coaching at Sam Houston State, been at A&M. You know, was an Aggie, which makes it a little strange going to Texas. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's real fashionable in sports, unfortunately, to kind of to bang on the coach who left, to complain mm-hmm. about him. But, you know, all I've ever asked any coach to do is to leave us better than he found us and leave the next person set up for success. And whatever we want to debate about women's basketball that can't be debated. He left it better than he found it. He left it poised for success. And somebody is going to come in and get the keys to a Cadillac and have a really good program. Well, and it would obviously, I think at this point, be total speculation uh, to throw any names out there and that kind of thing, Charlie. Uh, I mean, obviously fans are talking about you know, the, the prominent assistant there, Johnny Harris, and, and she's such a big part of the program. And People know that Matthew Mitchell at Kentucky has ties to Mississippi. So the the obvious names. But given that John Cohen coaching searches almost never go the obvious route, (laughs) what would you say to the fan base about all this? Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd say is we're we're hiring really in a different circumstance than we've hired uh, in quite a while. Um, you could argue, you know, when Mullen left, you were kind of hiring in that circumstance of having a program that was enjoying success. But this one's enjoyed as much success as any Mississippi State team in any sport. And so kind of what I was doing last night was playing around and looking at, all right, who is the hot board for the Tennessee job? Because all of a sudden you start looking at some of those names and you start to start to wonder, well, if those were the the ideas that Tennessee might be shooting for, and while it may seem crazy to put Mississippi State and Tennessee in the same level, right now Mississippi State's program is better, and the athletic department's committing more resources to it than Tennessee is. And so a lot of those names are in play from there. The next thing, and this is where it gets tough, if you go and remember, Vic Schaefer had a losing record as a head coach when Mississippi State hired him. He had been an associate head coach with Gary Blair at Arkansas and then Texas A&M. And so it's real easy in looking at basketball to say, hey, I want Brenda Freeze from Maryland or I want, uh, you know, the coach at Oregon State or Oregon or, you know, some of those schools. But you also got to look at some of the smaller schools and you also got to look at some of the people sitting in that second spot and really start to gain an understanding of what they were doing there's going to be a lot of really good coaches who want this job. And like you said, Matt, the one thing we know about John Cohen, uh, forget all the public rumors. He is going to handle it. And he's going to handle it quietly. Yeah, that's right. That, you know, if, if it is like the football hires and the baseball hire and, and so many others, um, yeah, it, it'll be a name that we're not talking about now because that's kind of the way those others uh, have gone. The roster coming back, Charlie, it's pretty good. How do you describe it? Loaded. Absolutely loaded. Um, you go and you look, and right now, in, in my mind, Rakia Jackson has a chance to be the best basketball, best women's basketball player that Mississippi State's ever had. And you can say, well, that's a lot of talk when you think about 
the players who have been here, Atan White, Latoya Thomas, uh, McCowan, Vivians. But she was a player who was good in getting better. He had a lot of young players who were good in getting much better in a hurry. The real challenge, I think, that you have with this roster is you can argue that it's almost a little bit too loaded. Um, it's tough to manage. I've always said in basketball, when you've got about eight and a half, nine players who can play, it's pretty easy to manage it. But when you've got you know, 11, 12, 13 who can all play, well, it's tough to find the minutes to make them all happy. Mm-hmm. And look, you'd rather have that problem, right, than having three. Sure. <laughs> so right. it's uh, it's in a really, really good spot. And the other thing about it, it's going to be young. It's going to be young again. You're going to have very few seniors next year. And I can't help but wonder, too, Charlie, what this search is going to be like as we go through what we're going through uh, in the throes of this virus and the shutdown, therefore. I mean, you know, basketball, a fall sport. Um, If this weren't going on, we'd have a time frame on our head of what we'd probably be thinking three, four weeks max. What do you think, though? I mean, what do you think time frame on this with everything going on? I'd be guessing. I expect John Cohen to move really quickly. One thing that anybody's around John Cohen knows is this is a guy who is prepared, uber prepared, and he uh, is very much a detailed guy. He always has a contingency plan. And the other thing about John Cohen you you know pretty well is he isn't always going to tell you everything he's thinking. But my best guess is we're going to see somebody – move quick and let's borrow the texas timeline as an example i don't think it'd be this quick but you know they get rid of a coach on a friday and uh two days later they've got a head coach so mm-hmm. these things are capable of moving quickly if you know who you're targeting and that would be the thing interesting to me is to know whether john cohen has kind of made that decision of here's my person yeah you know three factors on back on the vic schaefer thing charlie the fact that, number one, he's been a Texas A&M guy. Number two, the team he had coming back here. And number three, the fact that State's going to pay him whatever money it took. It was not a money thing. Those three factors combined, I, I understand. I mean, coaches go to Texas. But still, you know what I mean? Like I, I still I look at those three factors and go, uh, why do he go now? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I I told uh, some people one time, I have a Methodist minister theory of coaching. Uh, about every eight to ten years, it's time to rotate. And uh, the congregation needs a new minister, and the minister needs a new congregation. Yeah. And so now and then you just got to shift around. And you look at coaches, you look at athletic directors, and I've always thought kind of that eight to ten is where people start to kind of get in mind you know what, it's time to go. And if you look at Vic Schaefer, you know, he's not 42 anymore. Uh, and this is this will be his last job. And I've, my guess is, and Vic hasn't told me this at all, but my guess is he probably felt like if he were going to move on and do something different, this is kind of the last best chance. Puts him in a school that has, nobody has infinite resources, but they can uh, certainly out-resource a lot of people. And, uh, puts him back home it puts him in even at mississippi state you look where he's recruiting kids he was still pulling a lot of really big players out of texas dominic dillingham for example tierra mccowan mm-hmm. katera chapel a lot of those players he knows those schools he knows that area and so i i don't like it but i i kind of get it sure 
Yeah. Well, and here we are looking ahead, looking forward and trying to see what's next. It is going to be an interesting uh, time in what has become a very successful program. Charlie, I really appreciate some time here today. It's good to hear your voice. I know a lot of people have missed it. We thought we'd hear it a lot more during baseball season. So appreciate you coming on. Man, glad to. Thanks for having me. Yep. Talk to you soon. Thank you. That's Charlie Winfield. Y'all follow him on Twitter, at Charlie Winfield, if you haven't already. He is the color analyst on the radio for Mississippi State women's basketball. And, of course, you see him calling Mississippi State baseball games on the SEC+. And I think he does other sports, too, some basketball and some uh, maybe some softball for SEC+. So there you go. The job is posted. The search is underway. State will have a new women's basketball coach in the very near future. It's just how near we don't know. I mean, I guess you interview via video chat, right? I mean, people people are not going to travel to each other, fly, and go meet in person. I don't guess. I mean, I don't think you're supposed to right now, are you? I mean, Schaefer in Texas did, but I don't think you're supposed to. Hey, look at this. Jason over here on the uh, Country Pleasing text line said, LOL, my first sports memory outside of wrestling was Joe Theismann and Kirby Puckett. Uh, Is wrestling a sport? Jason said, my first sports memory outside of wrestling. I didn't think wrestling was a sport since we know the outcome. Ahead of time. Hmm. I'm Matt. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Okay, back with you rolling along here on a Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday. John from John's on the Country Pleasing text line, 885-ESPN, said, Matt, you just opened up a can of worms asking that question. John from John's. I was just simply thinking out loud. That's what I was doing. Jason texted in. He said, my first sports memory outside of wrestling was dot, dot, dot. And my thing is, (laughs) my thing is, I'm not saying it's not. I guess here I am going wishy-washy on you, which is not good for a radio personality to do. You shouldn't go wishy-washy. I should have a very strong opinion about this. I'm thinking about it. Okay. I'm thinking about it. Question is, is wrestling <laughs> is wrestling a sport? Honest question. Because, look, it sure is heck is athletic. Ain't no doubt, okay? Nobody's doubting that. It's really athletic. It's tough. It's sweaty. They have to lift weights and jump. 
<laughs> all that stuff. But is it a sport? I'm just saying it seems to me that sports are something that are contests that aren't decided um, previously. And wrestling, we know. It's really, it is amazing choreography. That's what wrestling is. With big, strong people. It is amazing choreography. Is ballet a sport? Hey, Beaver. Hey, Matt Wyatt. You're a big wrestling fan, right? Yep. Is wrestling a sport? Or is it a drama? Is it a is it FYE for your entertainment? I think it is. It's all those three mixed in. Mm. It's highly athletic men's <laughs> men's ballet. We'll say that. A little bit of sporting element mixed into it. Mm-hmm. Uh if if someone wants to call it a sport, I would not have any okay. problems with it. You know, it's not a sport in the traditional sense. Okay. Um but in the midst of no sports going on, you see the only one that was around <laughs> this weekend, WrestleMania happened. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So if you want to call it a sport, yeah, go ahead. I'll allow it. You know, if tomorrow is a really, really slow day on the radio, then I'm going to ask the question, are NASCAR drivers athletes? And just sit back and just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Answer phone calls. <laughs> okay. Um, Jason, here's an ode to you. You said your first sports memory outside of wrestling, Joe Theismann and Kirby Puckett. That reminded me of something I saw that I absolutely loved and thought was fantastic. There has never been. A better late night show bit than the David Letterman top 10 list. Not before or since. There's not been a better bit. This is an ode, a look back to when Kirby Puckett, fresh off a World Series title, nailed a top 10 list on David Letterman. Uh, the category tonight of the top ten list, by the way, from the home office in Edina. No idea what that's mean. Category tonight, top ten ways to mispronounce the name Kirby Puckett. <laughs> top ten ways now to mispronounce the name Kirby Puckett. Here we go. Number ten. Kirby Pickett. <laughs> Number nine. And I should say, this is Kirby Puckett himself doing his list of how to mispronounce his own name. Creepy Pockets. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight. Bernie Crumpet. Uh Uh-huh. Number seven. Turkey Bucket. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Number six. Buddy Hackett. And then they do a cutaway to some newsman pretending to laugh. It's a little bit here, so that's what you hear at this point. We're going to get back to the top ten list now in just a sec. <laughs> <laughs> he's got something in his 
This is David Letterman years ago. Kirby Puckett, just for you, Jason. Top ten. All right. Uh, now back to uh, top ten ways to mispronounce Kirby Puckett. Number five. The Puckett formerly known as Kirby. Yeah. Number four. Punky Brewster. Yeah. Number three. Ken Herbeck. Yeah. Number two, there once was a man from Nantucket who curbed his own pucket. Uh, <laughs> curbed his very own pucket. Actually, curbed his And the number one way to mispronounce the name Kirby Puckett, Ingle Puck Kirby Dink. There you go. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It, to me, I don't know why. Maybe it is growing up a sports fan, a baseball fan, but one of the best top 10 lists I think ever and there were some good ones do y'all notice how all the best television is from 20-30 years ago was and is or is that just me am I just the guy telling y'all to get off my lawn you know I'll listen to it I'm not going to yell at you if you really think that's me then just tell me yeah, I mean, I can take it. Uh, the question was, have you been introduced to any activities or reintroduced to anything in this time of shelter in place and quarantine? I thought of it because Neil Price, the play-by-play announcer at Mississippi State, sent me a picture. This man is going all like chef in his kitchen. He's got a cutting board, thinly sliced, um, steak like carne asada. <laughs> he's going to make what he he's called. I don't know. I got to look it up. It's called the pastor's tacos. He said he made his own chili powder. And then he says, I'm doing all sorts of new stuff during this quarantine. I want to know, are you doing any new stuff during this quarantine? I just want to know, what is it? I got an unnamed texture here that said, um, due to the quarantine, I've done something I never do. Chores. <laughs> My yard is immaculate. <laughs> I guess that applies. Things that you're supposed to be doing, sir. I guess that applies. We had a Bruce Benedict reference earlier in the show today. During the interview with Charlie Winfield here on the Divinity Equipment phone line, Bruce Benedict, the former Braves starting catcher in the early 80s who then became a big-time SEC basketball referee, Bruce Benedict. And Ernest T. responded to that. He said, classic Skip Carey, quote, you could time Benedict's speed from home to first base with a calendar. That'd be um, the best Skip Carey impression I could muster. It ain't a good one. But it's the best. <laughs> that was kind of like a cross between Skip Carey and Kermit the Frog. Yeah, Kermit the Frog. That's kind of what that impression was. Y'all leave me alone. I'm doing the best I can. You want it again? The 1980s Braves intro on WTBS?
goes Nixon to the wall. He caught it. Unbelievable. Kiss this one goodbye. It's a slam. And down the stretch he comes. Correction, I said 80s, that would be 90s. Because otherwise they wouldn't have Skip Carey's call of Braves win with Sid Bream sliding in safely against the Pirates in 92 to send the Braves to the World Series. So, there's that. Jason said, uh, as a kid... Before all this, quote, sports entertainment nonsense, they tried their best to present it as a legit sport, talking about wrestling. He says, it's a soap opera for guys, since the second sports entertainment came out of Vince McMahon's mouth. He did that, by the way, to get out of modern drug testing by state athletic commissions. What a weasel. Did he really? Are they the greatest marketing machine ever? Okay, look, I'm just going to say it. I never was a huge fan of wrestling. Now, as a kid, small kid, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, you had the Hulk Hogan and the Rowdy Roddy Piper and the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and a few of those that I could name. But that was about it. And there was like a Saturday morning thing, and I watched like five minutes, and I'm back outside. That was me as a kid. I didn't become a huge wrestling fan, and certainly not as I got older. So once upon a time, somewhere in the last year, I happened upon a few uh, wrestling, like, like YouTube videos, like these YouTube channels that the wrestling federations and WWE and all these that they run themselves. And the production and, and the drama and work that goes into that stuff I was highly impressed. It has to be one of the greatest marketing machines ever. And that is the pro wrestling stuff. Y'all stick around. Get it on, pull it on into the driveway and in the garage. That's what we'll do here. Another 20 minutes or so with you on this Monday. I appreciate you tuning in to the Farm Bureau Studio. I'm Matt Wyatt. Derek on the Country Pleasing Text says, Matt, I went back and watched my Georgia Bulldogs lose the College World Series to Fresno State. I remember that. What year was that, Derek? I could look it up, but let me guess. 90? 95? Anyway. That's what I do. I, I guess in five-year increments so that I'll be ballpark eventually. <laughs> he said, it still burned the same, but I love my boys and glad they gave me the chance to pull for them uh, to the end of their run. That's from Derek. I tell you, man, you think about Georgia sports, Georgia Bulldogs, they've had some some high moments, uh, but and especially here recently in football, boy, they have had some punches in the gut, have they not? I mean, really. And just recruiting through the roof, but it just has not materialized yet. 
Squiz says it was like 2008. <laughs> Maybe it was. True Maroon, thanks for your picture. Says, working at the hospital with a beard sucks. But y'all pray for our healthcare workers. They are busting their butts up here, and I'm just trying to make sure they have the supplies to do it. boy. Hats off to you, True Maroon. Tip of the cap, man. Yeah, you got a big old nice beard going there. Now, it's not in Chad Dacus land yet, but it's getting there. I don't know if y'all know Chad, but he's got, he's got the beard, I think. But yeah, having to snuggle that mask up over that beard and mustache. You look a lot different, True Maroon, on the text line there in that picture than you do in that ID tag that's hanging on your front. But you're right. You know, the healthcare workers, I just, I tell you, man, I think I mentioned this early on with this stuff. I don't know. I've, I've always sort of been fascinated with the idea of ultimate courage. You go, well, what does that mean? Well, one way I've thought about it a lot over my life is studying war. Even as a little kid, I thought about that stuff because uh, my granddad, who I was pretty close to until he passed away when I was nine years old, but he was a soldier in World War II. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. He was out front and uh, got shot, had a bullet go through uh, in one cheekbone and out the other. I know that's graphic. He lost an eye, fell in the snow because of the extreme cold and the snow did not bleed to death. Uh, they found him and sent him home. And he stayed in a hospital in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the better part of two years, several reconstructive surgeries, but lived. And later my mother was born. And so, you know, as a kid growing up, he had a glass eye. Um, but I'd see his uniforms and hear the story and kind of started to understand it as a kid. And this idea of ultimate courage, knowing people are shooting at you and you're not trying to get out of the way or, or, or you're not trying to go the other way. You're actually going into it, towards it. So even as a youngster, I start to think about those things. Now, that's one extreme example. Okay, there's potentially death awaiting you over there and potentially dire consequences but i am somehow motivated to go into it head first to go right into it and i don't hesitate so that's ultimate courage you know and then as you grow older you study it i studied the civil war a lot and being in mississippi you can look around at the geography and see battlefields and see places and try to figure out where people were and what they saw on the other side. And you start to understand some of this stuff. And, you know, like in Vicksburg, you understand what those union soldiers and those Illinois companies um, faced trying to go up a hill. And so you're so motivated by something. It's a cause or it's loyalty and commitment to your teammates, right? To your fellow man. Or to, frankly, just simply your responsibility to get your job done. 
You're so loyal to it that you'll go head first into the fire. I am fascinated by that. I think part of the reason is when I sit and I study it without my adrenaline going, without my dander up, I always question, would I have what it takes to do that? Could I do that? How could I do that? I don't, I don't know that I could do that, right? Maybe you've thought those things too. Where are you going with this, Matt? I'll tell you where I'm going. Thinking about people like True Maroon, people like the doctors and the nurses and all the healthcare workers and the assistants and the practitioners who know what's in the halls of these hospitals around the country. Look, y'all can see the numbers. I can too. I have the easy job, stay at home. They simply cannot do it. They know what's in that hospital. They know what's in the air. Potentially on things they touch. They know. Yet they barrel right into it face first. Because it's their job. And because somebody in that room needs them. I mean, imagine that. You know, I've heard stories of doctors who they come home from these shifts of helping these patients who have the coronavirus and they are exhausted, obviously. But when they get home, they must uh, undress in, you know, the garage or in another part of the house. They must sleep and eat and stay away from family members. Man, they are the heroes. They are the warriors right now. They are the soldiers in so many ways right now. And, uh, you know, I can't say thanks enough. I can't honor them enough, and we pray for them. And I hope you do too. You know, that idea of a hedge of protection. Well, they are who need it and need it most right now. But I have a tremendous, tremendous amount of respect for that, that ultimate courage. You don't go the other way. You stiffen and take a step forward and then go running right into it. I'm going to do my job. Man, man. And when this eventually lifts and the smoke clears, we won't have enough airtime and enough documentary film equipment to chronicle all the amazing stories of courage that we're going to have and be hearing about and learning of courage of people in the medical field that are helping uh, to try to save the lives of people who have this and who really go downhill and wind up in a hospital. Uh, Walton on the country pleasing text line says, my wife is a nurse practitioner. They are cut from a different type of leather than the rest of us. I tip my cap every day. Yep. Couldn't said it better. You know, in Walton, uh, I am someone who believes that there are people who God just kind of puts the ability in some people to do certain things and they got it. And, and frankly, the rest of us didn't Jason in Flagstaff. Real quick, Jason, I got about two minutes here. 
before we're done. Thanks for calling. What's up? Not nothing much. You're asking about ultimate courage and all this stuff. Uh, the, the trick with that is you train yourself until you do it and you don't think about it. The, the thing with these doctors and nurses, yeah, what they're going through in New York City right now, what they're doing right now is not the problem. When, when this is over, they're going to need a lot of support. Hmm. And it, <laughs> you mean like uh, like PTSD, like that soldiers go through? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. But I, I've trained to be a, like a combat medic. The choices they're going to have to make, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to deal with after. Yeah, you know, Jason, it's it's honestly something that has not even crossed my mind yet at this point. But you're exactly right. Um, of course, they're they're kind of in that profession for yeah. a, a reason. They kind of have a certain ability on some of that stuff, maybe that the rest of us don't have. But you're exactly right. They, I mean. There's going to be a whole new field of, you know, emotional, mental support specialists for people in the medical community and some of these places that have been hardest hit, like New York and in Washington State, New Jersey, and other places. Appreciate the call, Jason. Hang in there, buddy. Talk to you soon. That'll wrap it up on this Monday. In the Farm Bureau studio, Farm Bureau, go with The home team will see you back here tomorrow. For Beaver, I'm Matt. See you then. See you.